Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. If you have any questions for topics that you would like discussed in the future, please go to BibleQuest.org and click on the Questions button in the upper right corner of that page. Again, our website is BibleQuest.org. And so, with that said, Jeff, it's all yours. Good afternoon. Uh, we're going to be talking about God-centered worship today. I'm Jeff Smelser in Exton, Pennsylvania. We have the full complement today. Joe Works in Elmira, New York, and Chase Byers in Fishers, Indiana, just north of Indianapolis. Good afternoon, guys. Good afternoon. Hello, Chase and Jeff. So, we as we talk about God-centered worship, um, you know, let, let's start off with this, and 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 we this may be a kind of a semantic debate here a little bit but i i would suggest that worship by definition has to be god-centered um let's talk about what 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 we might mean by that and if we want to quibble with that we can quibble with that too and when i say quibble with that do we find examples of worship in the bible that are not god-centered yes so okay if i say by definition worship has to be god-centered am i wrong no absolutely not but but there's worship that's not god centered <laughs> so so let's talk about that a little bit uh we we've not mapped this out um really so um i'm not sure where to begin i i'll start with this can, i'll start with uh, joe do you, do you have something you're going to jump in well with? I, I was just saying what what if we define the terms yeah that's that's exactly so let's define worship how would you define worship I think the the simplest, the uh, clearest definition would be to bow down before, mm -hmm. uh, right? Yep. And it is, uh, there's a there's a, a word that's translated worship often in in the King James version, in Greek it uh, that comes from two parts that would mean kiss toward, and the idea is there's some sovereign, and you bow down before this sovereign and kiss his hand or kiss his ring or kiss the ground in front of him, something like that. Is that the proskuneo? Yeah, Proskuneo. I, I, I just wanted to say it before you did. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. You get a point. Um, all right. So the score is Joe one, Chase zero, Jeff zero. All right. We'll keep scores throughout the discussion today. So yeah, and and so if you think about that idea, uh, the, we're not, and, and if we don't just focus on the outward physical act, but we focus on the idea of acknowledging someone as sovereign, acknowledging oneself to be subservient to someone else. Um, to express that, you have to be focused on the one you're acknowledging. If you're focused on yourself, you're exalting yourself. And yeah. so that, that's kind of the idea that I had in mind when I said worship. Yeah. And, 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 and the only reason why I mentioned the word, it may, I'm, I don't know the etymology of the Greek or anything else, but when I think about the word proskuneo that I heard several years ago, um, I think about prostrating yourself before. And, and so the, the beginning of the words are similar, and so that helps me to remember the concept behind it. Okay. Um, so, and, yeah. When, go ahead. And when we think about worship, we're talking about the actual act of an organized attempt to come and worship God, right? That's what we're talking about. Well, I don't, when you say organized, do you mean like multiple people? Can one person worship God? Uh, sorry. Yeah, I'm not making myself clear. I believe 
one person can worship God. But for the sake of the podcast today, we're talking about like a church that comes together for the reason of we we are we are going to talk about that. We are going to talk okay. about that. But maybe maybe to start with, let's just talk about just with whether it's my my individual worship or whether it's congregational worship or what. I, I the, the very idea of worship is to exalt God. The very idea of worship is to acknowledge that God is supreme. But we do have worship where people really aren't doing that. Um, I mean, you know, right off the bat in Genesis, the fourth chapter, you have this account of Cain and Abel bringing their offerings to God. And the Bible doesn't use the word worship, at least in our English translations. But I think we would recognize this as worship. Wouldn't you say this is worship that's going on here? Yes, I would agree. Absolutely. And, and if we just read the text in verse um, verse uh, 3 of Genesis 4, it says, So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, and, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. Uh, and so God found one offering acceptable he found the worship of one of these men acceptable and not the other and and this kind of probably bleeds into a couple of points but why did god find and and we can debate what was wrong with cain's but bottom line what's the difference here between cain and abel their hearts must have been and and i think we could base that on hebrews the 11th chapter where it says, by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. Um, well, it, what what that has to do with is where his heart was. Um, and so his, I would take it in one way or another, Cain was not really focused on God, whether it was on God's, um, you know, however, whether it was, a, well, let's put it this way. If it's by faith, there had to have been some instruction from God. Uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. So the very fact that Abel did it by faith indicates that he was doing something that God had instructed. Maybe along with, so from Hebrews 11, we get Abel's uh, perspective or, or God's take on Abel. In 1 John 3 and verse 12, or beginning of verse 11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning. We should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. And so in that passage, we see that before the murder, it mentions that Cain's actions were evil. His works were evil. And so I think, again, that just goes back to the heart question. Abel did something with a righteous heart and and cain wicked yeah so all right um it, go ahead chase as i just think about it too i appreciate you bringing up genesis and thinking about kind of the origins of worship i guess one of the first places you see god responding to worship would be whenever they get off the ark in genesis 8 and noah builds an altar to the lord he took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar and in verse 21, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground, um, et cetera, et cetera. So what we offer to God, God responds to. In this case, it was a it was a pleasing smell or aroma to him. Um, and so I think that 
at least centers me in what who the worship should be about as we think about God's response to what we're doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, okay, one of the things that we we can discern just from these two examples here is that a lot of things that people may do in which they purport to be worshiping God, but not all worship is acceptable to God. And and I would say ultimately that's because there's a, a lot of worship that is not really worshiping God. And and there's some things that keep worship from being worshiping. And one is the heart, one is the attitude. And and uh you know let's turn over to let's turn over to first Kings chapter 13. I want to look at this with you here real quickly here. First Kings chapter 13 is um, right after uh, the kingdom has divided, uh, Solomon had become king, and then after him, Rehoboam had become king. When Rehoboam was king, Jeroboam led a delegation from the ten northern tribes saying, uh, are you going to be easy on us? Are you going to be hard on us? And Rehoboam had decided he's going to be hard on them. So Jeroboam led the ten northern tribes in rebellion, a secession, to uh, start a separate kingdom, and he's going to reign there. And chapter 13 then describes the steps that he took to make sure that the people uh, under his reign did not revert to Rehoboam and the southern kingdom. So I'm going to start in 1 Kings chapter 13, uh, verse 26. Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom will return to the house of David. So Rehoboam is a grandson of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will return to the Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they'll kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king consulted, and he made two golden calves, and he said to them, It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, which was the southern part of the northern kingdom, and, he, and, and the other he put in Dan, which is up in the northern part. So at each end of his realm, he has these, these um, golden calves set up. And verse 31, he made houses on high places, and he made priests from among all the people who were not of the sons of Levi. The law of Moses had stipulated the priests were to come from the tribe of Levi, and more specifically from the descendants of Aaron. Um, verse 32, Jeroboam instituted a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month, like the feast which was in Judah, but that would have been in, in the seventh month. But here Jeroboam has made a similar one in the eighth month, like the one in Judah. And he went up to the altar, thus he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves which he had made. And he stationed in Bethel the priest of the high places, which he had made. And then he went up to the altar, which he had made in Bethel, on the 15th day in the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised in his own heart, and he instituted a feast for the sons of Israel and went up to the altar to burn incense. There's an emphasis in all of this. There's worship going on. There is at least certainly religious activity, but there's an emphasis in all of this that these are things that Jeroboam himself had devised. Uh, You get to the end of chapter 13, and it says... Um, it just describes all of this as Jeroboam's evil way in verse 33. Um, and in verse 34, it says, this event became sin to the house of Jeroboam, even to blot it out and destroy it from off the face of the earth. So what do you see in that story? What do you get out of that story? Convenient worship, uh, certainly self-serving on the part of the king, right? 
Yeah. So if it's self-serving, I, I, I love that you use that expression. His motivation was to secure his own kingdom, secure his own authority, his own throne, and make sure his people didn't revert back to the southern kingdom. So you can hardly say that's God-focused. Um, it's himself-focused. That's where his heart is. Um, but it also brings us to this observation. The text makes a distinction between what God had said and what he devised. God had set up a feast in the seventh month. He devised one in the eighth month. Um, God had said priests were to come from the tribe of Levi. He chose priests from whatever tribe he wanted to. So we started out, we saw examples of worship where God was not pleased. He was not pleased with Cain's. He was pleased with Abel's. He accepted Noah's. Uh, Here, if a man is devising in his own heart, and he's not following God's instructions, is that worship going to be acceptable? Nope. And, and yet there are a lot of people, I think, guys, who have the idea that, I, I remember, I, I don't know why this sticks with me, but do you remember the name Rex Humbard? I do. I do not. Yeah, he was a big TV evangelist way back. And What's when, way back? Well, this would be the early 80s. Um, and, and at that time he had a large church in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, uh, just North of where we lived in Akron, Ohio. And I don't know, but it sticks with me. They had an advertisement gymnastics for Jesus. They were going to have somebody come in and put on a gymnastics show for, for everybody. And there are people who would say, well, I'm using my talent to glorify God. This is worship. Yeah, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so is that is that right? Can I just do something that I'm good at or I like or I enjoy doing it and just kind of dedicate it to God? Call and it worship. Becomes acceptable worship. Yeah. No, no, you can't. Sorry. I was just saying, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I agree that that's what people say. But... but, but from the text, no, your your point stands. No, clearly that's not the case. We have to do it God's way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so in a minute, let, we'll we'll have to come around to talking about congregational worship. But let's go over to Leviticus chapters eight through ten here. So there's yeah, Joe. No, I, I just want to say I want to talk about the heart of somebody that does that too, because I, right. I would imagine um, Jeff, the the people in that scenario that you're talking about. I'd imagine those are nice people. They probably, yeah. they probably really do love God, and they, they really do uh, want people to glorify God and praise God. So sometimes it comes down to a heart problem. Is it a matter of you're not seeking what God's will is, um, or are you just ignorant um, altogether? Um, I don't know. I, it seems like people that I've met who do this kind of thing. It's, it's not like they're trying to bring attention to themselves but it just seems like they don't understand the character of god in some of these basic passages I don't so know. the Maybe fundamental they... problem of man is whether he serves himself or he serves god uh, first peter chapter 4 contrasts the will of man the, the the will of god with the lust of men we choose one or the other my will my lusts or god's will my desires or or god's and if you think about the very first sin, here's Eve in the Garden of Eden, and she'd been told uh, she'd die if she ate of the, 
the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the devil told her a lie, said, you won't die. She didn't have good reason. We say it's the devil. I think the New Testament makes it clear the devil was speaking through the serpent. Um, and, and she did not have good reason to believe the serpent. Um, but she did believe the serpent. And the text says she saw that the tree was good for food, a delight to the eyes, and desirable to make one wise. All of that is about what she wanted. And so in that very first sin, sin, what you had was a, a choice. Do I do what I want or do I do what God wants? And so we say good people love God. Well, fundamentally, our problem is, our sin is that we've chosen to do what we want rather than what God wants at one point or another. And when we do that, we've loved ourselves rather than God. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to say with you, Chase, that by our standards, we would look at a lot of people who, who, who worship according to their own will rather than God's. And we say they're good people. And certainly in some sense, in some way, on some level, it seems like they love God. But really, if we choose to do our will and worship rather than God's, I don't know how we, how we get around the comparison to, to what Eve did or what Cain did or what, Jeremiah did. I mean, not Jeremiah, Jer Jeroboam. Yeah, well said. But it's we were going to go to... Yeah, Leviticus 8. Yeah. Yeah, so this is this is a uh, an interesting passage. It culminates in the story of, of Nadab and Abihu, but you all are familiar. If you go through Leviticus 8 and 9 and all of the process of consecrating Aaron and his sons, there's a lot of, you could say, ritual. There are sacrifices. But there's a phrase that appears repeatedly in chapters 8 and 9. What is that phrase? As the Lord had commanded. Yeah, you see it in chapter 8 and verse 5. You see it in chapter 8 and verse... Um, let me get my page turned here. Uh, 9, 13. 9, 13. Uh, down in verse 17. Just over and over, as you go through the text... It talks about how Moses and the people and Aaron and his sons are doing just as the Lord had commanded. And it culminates after repeatedly using that phrase over and over. It culminates in chapter 9. There's an offering made, verse 21. It, uh, the breast and the right thigh Aaron presented as a wave offering before the Lord, just as Moses had commanded. And then verse 22, Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. All of that had been described as just as the Lord had commanded. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. I think that'd just be a remarkable thing to see. Jace, you use the expressions, God's response to worship or to offerings. To visibly see God express his response. You provide this offering, you do everything just as the Lord commanded. And the Lord takes that offering, consumes it in fire, and you, you, you get the point. God has accepted this offering, right? Yes, absolutely. And then, then what happens when we get to the first two verses of chapter 10? Well, the offering is accepted and 
a certain way. I'll say it that way. <laughs> That's, I shouldn't laugh. It's not funny. But you said it. But you caught me by surprise. So we have Nate Abin Abihu, who are sons of Aaron, the priests, and they they bring incense, but they use what is described here as strange fire. And there's an expression in verse one, and the expression is that is a contrast to everything we've been seeing in chapters eight and nine. The expression is which he, the Lord, had not commanded. And after so many times in chapters 8 and 9, seeing the expression, just as the Lord had commanded, this just jumps out at you, which he had not commanded. And fire comes down this time, but, but rather than consuming an offering, rather than consuming the incense, it consumes Nadab and Abihu. They are, they are burnt up. And so what's and and of course there's the statement in verse three. Moses said to Aaron, "It's what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and for all the people, I will be honored." So how do we honor God? How do we treat God as holy? We do what He said in the way that He said it, without adding to or taking away from uh, the instructions that He's given. So, so when we talk about worship, it has to be according to God's instructions. We can't just do something that we think God should like and call it worship. Uh, that's not really submitting ourselves to one we regard as sovereign. That's really exalting our own opinions, our own ideas. Did, did you ever get your wife a birthday present that you just thought she should like? Okay. Yes. <laughs> what do you have a story? <laughs> Not that I'm willing to share with you guys. <laughs> okay. But you can imagine the guy who just he's just certain his wife would love a new rod and reel and <laughs> he gets it for her and oh well, I got, I, yeah, yeah, I think I think a good all right, and just a good example of this. So I'll bring your wife into it, Jeff. If I'm uh -oh. not mistaken, one year you bought her a tarantula, didn't you? No, <laughs> you would go there, wouldn't you? Yes, but, I did. No, yes, I, I, I want to make a good point out of that. Yeah. So yeah. let me be clear. So for those that are listening, Jeff's wife really liked that tarantula, didn't she? She did. She did. Yeah. She, yeah, she loves animals. She loves critters. She loves caring for them. Jeff knows his wife. Yeah. She <laughs> knows what she wants. She knows her. Now, here's the thing. I'm not buying my wife a tarantula for an anniversary or a birthday. Right. But I know my wife, you know, and, and I think that's kind of the point that you're making here, right? With this right. kind of analogy is right. when you know the other, your significant other, you know what they want. And same thing with the Lord. If you know the Lord, he's revealed in different ways what his will is. Yeah. And and to, to elaborate in first Corinthians chapter two, Paul talks about nobody knows what's in the mind of a man except the spirit of a man himself. And so it is with God. We don't know what God thinks except the spirit of God tells us. And Paul tells, goes on to argue the spirit of God has told us. So if I want to do something for God, I need to know God by listening to what the spirit of God has told me. And that's how I honor God. In, according with, in accordance with his instructions. And our wives would make it a whole lot easier if they just told us, like God has told us, to tell us what they want. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but that's another, that's another webcast. That's not our topic today. All right. So um, the, the point being here is a serious point. For worship to truly be worship that honors God, 
it needs to be according to his instructions. Okay, do we have a comment that we need to take a look at here? Um, Chase, are you monitoring that? Yeah, so it looks like someone wrote, uh, Chase mentioned, do all in the name of the Lord. What does that mean? Okay, so yeah, this is just in reference to, um, I kind of, not in jest, but I, I've heard people make that argument. Well, Colossians 3.17, right, um, states that we, whatever we do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, as if that is a license to anything we do is in worship to God or done unto him. Um, and so just trying to balance doing whatever we can within God's will. Um, and I also think there's a difference in what we're trying to talk about with the collective worship of God's people, centered worship, um, opposed to just, you know, living everyday life. There's differences there. Well, you know, people take can take that in two different ways, and one's right and one's wrong. Do all in the name of the Lord. I think some people think that means do what you want to do, but put the Lord's name on it. Uh, that's not what that means. It means do what you do according to the Lord's will. Do what right. the Lord wills. In 1 Samuel 25 is my favorite way to illustrate this. In 1 Samuel 25, David is out in the wilderness with his 600 men that have gathered around him. And he's fleeing from Saul, but but he's also doing some good. He's protecting the flocks of a man named Nabal, who's very rich. And he is seeing to it that their flocks, his flocks are not stolen, that his herdsmen, his shepherds are... Uh, are not abused by bandits, that sort of thing. And so when the time for sheep shearing comes, where Nabal is going to be making a lot of money, David sends some messengers to Nabal and says, would you would you help us out? You know, we've been doing you this favor. And in verse 5 of 1 Samuel 25, it says, so David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young man, go up to Carmel, visit Nabal, and greet him in my name. And then um, as you come down in the text, uh, verse 9 says, when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal, according to all these words, in David's name, and then they waited. Uh, they could not have gone to Nabal and said, we're here in David's name, if David hadn't sent them. If they had just said, you know, we're just going to, on our own initiative, we're going to go ask Nabal, and we're going to say, we're here in David's name, that they'd have been lying if David hadn't sent them. They could say it was in David's name because they were going at David's instruction. And so their request was in David's name. So people today who just say, well, I'm doing this in the name of the Lord, meaning I'm, I'm just going to dedicate this to God. He never asked for it. They don't understand what it means to do something in the name of God or what it so, means in Colossians 3. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the yeah. Lord Jesus. And I, even in the context of Colossians 3, the verse right before that says, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you or yeah. among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. Again, yeah. in God's will, in Christ's will, do all in his name. And if the words of Christ are dwelling in you, you'll know what to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And along those same lines, uh, I, I thought that that's a really good uh, passage to keep in mind for in the name of. I, I like that. Uh, I was thinking about when King Saul uh, had fought against the Amalekites in uh, 1 Samuel 15. And uh, Samuel came out to greet him and he said, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Yeah. And Samuel says, then what's this bleeding of the sheep that I hear? You know, uh, just because you say that you're doing what God wants doesn't mean that you are. Right. And, and that's just such a classic example there 
uh, of somebody who's, you know, inserting God's name in this, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, this I've done what the Lord wanted me to do, but not at all. Uh, had he done that. And and it goes back to the expression you used earlier, Joe, self-serving. Um, he, he wanted to, he, he blames the people. Maybe he wanted to, to please the people to secure his popularity. Um, he, he saved Agag, the king alive. Who, who's that for? So that he can parade Agag along and say, look at this guy that I've subjected to my mm-hmm. rule, whatever he, Sir, worship God is acknowledging God as sovereign in in my heart, which means I do his will rather than what I want to do. Yep. And I can't change, I can't do what I want to do and then claim that it's for God just by slapping God's name on it. There's a passage in Isaiah 44 that we're, we're all very familiar with. This is such a profound passage. It talks about idolatry and and we sometimes think of idolatry as something that only happened in ancient times or maybe only happens in foreign countries, but certainly we don't really have a problem with idolatry. But the thing about this passage is that it points to the fundamental flaw of idolatry as a man who is, he's certainly foolish. He's creating something that is nothing and then worshiping it, but what he creates is an image of himself. And so what you have is, uh, the idea that that in idolatry, I'm really doing what I want to do. I'm setting up a God that can't tell me anything so I can do what I want to do and call it serving God. So I'm serving myself. And in that sense, idolatry is a profound problem in, in the life of every individual who does not submit to God's will. So let's look at this passage, Isaiah 44. When you guys want to read a little bit, starting in verse... Um, how about let's start in verse 9 and go through verse 11, first of all. All who make idols are nothing, and what they treasure benefits no one. Their witnesses do not see or know anything, so they will be put to shame. Who makes a god or casts a metal image that benefits no one? Look, all its worshipers will be put to shame, and the craftsmen are human. They all will assemble and stand. They all will be startled and put to shame. So here's where where yours says they're human, mine says they're mere men, and either way, I think the the point is, uh, you know, the guys who make these gods are just men. What can the gods be? Um, they're creatures of humans. And then we come to verse twelve. Joe, you want to grab uh, verses twelve and go through verse uh, well twelve and thirteen. The blacksmith with the tongs works one in the coals, fashions it with hammers, works it with the strength of his arms. Even so, he is hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The craftsman stretches out his rule. He marks out. He marks one out with chalk. He fashions it with the plane. He marks it with a compass. Makes it like the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. So, verse he, twelve. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. So, verse twelve highlights the frailty of the creator of this God. So what can the God be? But then verse 13, you notice that this God that he makes, it looks like a man. Um, He's created God in his own image. God created man in God's own image. Here's man creating a God in man's own image. And then you come down to verse 14. Surely he cuts cedars for himself and takes a cypress or an oak and raises it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a fir and the rain makes it grow. Then it becomes something for a man to burn. So he takes one of them, warms himself. He also makes a fire to bake bread. He also makes a God and worships it. 
he makes it a graven image and falls down before before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over this half he roasts. He eats meat as he roasts a roast and is satisfied. He also warms himself and says, "Aha! I'm warm. I've seen the fire." But the rest of it he makes into a god. His graven image. He falls down before it and worships. He also prays to it and says, "Deliver me, for you are my god." And and the, the irony there, the absurdity of it all. But the thing that I would highlight is this thing that is obviously not a God. Uh, He made it in his own image. The end of verse 19, should I bow down to a block of wood? (laughs) But the point being then, that's all it is. So who's really in charge here? Who is the God? Well, it's me. And it makes it, it makes it all the more clear why God said there should be no graven images of me. I mean, that. The God of the Bible, the God of the universe, rather, there's nothing that can contain his image well. And and so there's nothing these people are going to be able to make to adequately capture who this great God is. And yet man will still try to find something to worship, something to give their all to. And so you all see, we all see that obvious applications today to that. And we might not have these actual statues we're bowing down to like they did, but we certainly have things that we worship and we give our reverence and all um, and give our time to. Mm -hmm. Because that's what we want to give our time to. And so we're serving ourselves. And that's, that's the point I want to hammer home when I profess to worship God, but I do what I want. I'm worshiping myself. I am my own God. And um, so, okay. Uh, anything else you want to say about any of these things before we go on to some modern trends in worship? Nope. So Chase, early on, you were thinking in terms of congregational worship, and we do see some modern trends in churches. Um, and I have in mind these, uh, situations where church says at 9 AM, we have our, um, our, um, contemporary Contemporary. worship and 11 AM we'll have our traditional worship. Mm-hmm. Um, that that, kind of so the contemporary would be some, some of the more um, modern Christian rock songs that would be played by the church band. And then a traditional service would be, uh, I guess they would call it a homily with hymn singing. I would, imagine. I, you know, I've never, I've never been to such, but that's the impression that I get that, yeah. that one is designed for the old people and, and uh, one is designed for the young people and the young people who like the bands and uh, and whatever whatever and goes along with that. It's interesting that the one the traditional ones normally in the early part of the morning and then the contemporary one is a little bit later. <laughs> so what's the point there? Old people get up early. <laughs> it's so so the young people who are not motivated to get up early but do like the bands. It's all about what they want, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which which. Yeah, I think that just falls right in with what we're talking about. We're going to call this worship, but it is it the whole program is catered to what the audience wants, and really, in both in both cases. Yeah, I think that's really important to note because what what do you call the first one? Traditional. Yeah, and and so while we might say that the younger group later on they want to sleep in and listen to their music. The older people, they may want to just hurry up and get through worship and get to the buffet line as as well. Um, I, I think the word traditional needs to be challenged in that. I do too. Uh, what, 
what tradition are we talking about? The word tradition is not in and of itself bad, but what is the tradition? Um, uh, Our tradition, the way we've always done it and the way we are comfortable with it, we like because right. we've always done it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And and so what we need to do is just come back to what what would be a what would be a good biblical word for the kind of worship that we are pleading for people to return to. If we if we if we if we see hesitance with traditional and contemporary or progressive, what what kind of adjective would you uh, insert there? I would say God prescribed. I would say worship from the heart, but from a heart, you know, John four, um, worship in spirit and truth, worship in spirit yeah. and truth. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but, but what that's going to mean is if it, if it is spiritual worship, which is the true worship, the real worship, it's, it's got to be worship that God has, has prescribed. It's got to be what God has said. Yeah. Because spiritual doesn't mean feeling. No. And, and and I think that's another misconception, and, and it's really been sold very well over the last several decades, um, that spiritual worship is what stirs you up and, and gives you this sort of uh, excited uh, emotion. Um, and if you don't have that, then the worship wasn't really all that spiritual. Yeah, and obviously somebody who is truly worshiping God, he is going to be stirred up. There is emotion involved but you can have emotion involved without doing what god wants you can have emotion involved because it's what you want i i i've been to just like you all i've been to dozens of funerals my emotions have been greatly stirred in those funerals but they they are not this that that's not the kind of stirring up that some people are looking for um you know we we do want to have our emotions we we but we want god's word to be the one that uh that dictates that so we got to have another comment here from a listener. Um, going back to the phrase, in the name of the Lord, somebody says, doesn't in the name of the Lord mean by, I think that's supposed to be by his authority. And and I think that's what we were illustrating earlier. In 1 Samuel 25, the messengers of David could say they were making this request in the name of David because it was by David's authority. David had sent them to, to make this request. So if we're going to worship God, um in in his name do something in his name we're going to have to do it by his authority another comment here uh the first phrase nor is he worshiped with men's hands uh so question is in regard to that phrase does this apply to the making of idols or can it apply to instruments made with hands or the clapping of hands so i think isaiah 44. uh yeah uh so in my mind, immediately went to Acts 17 in the language there. Um, oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. I, yeah. Yeah. So, so in Acts 17, let's let's look at the context there. That's where Paul is in Athens, and he's talking about their idols, and he's talking about the God who's not served by man men's hands. Let's see. How did Rusty quote it? He said, nor is he worshipped with men's hands. Verse 25 in the translation I has, have says, neither is he served by men's hands as though he needed anything. The context there, I think, is contrasting uh, the pagan concept of gods who are dependent upon human beings um, 
to serve them, to provide right. their needs, to clean, clean, clean the pigeon poop off them, their images and so on. And, and the God who made us rather than being dependent upon us. So I, I would not see that as a passage that is pertaining to instrumental music. I would, however, see the passage we were talking about a moment ago in spirit and truth. And Joe, you were making the point, spirit there doesn't mean feeling. Spirit there is really the idea of the contrast between saying worship has to be in this temple on this mountain versus um, the spiritual temple. And Hebrews chapter 9, the contrast between things made with hands and uh, things that are not of this creation. So spiritual, um, there is a contrast to the extent that in the Old Testament, there was a lot of physical objective lessons to communicate spiritual ideas, and that included instrumental music. But in the New Testament, uh, those physical outward things are no longer the point. Yeah, Joe, go ahead. Uh, you may have said this, and I just missed it, but uh, to that question from Acts 17, uh, made with hands, down in verse 29, he talks about like gold or silver stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. I, I think the idea of something made by hands is those idols that he saw uh, around that people had yeah. had made um, uh, there as well. I think that even even that verse helps to point that out. And I only mention that because the rest of Rusty's question went on to talk about uh, clapping and things like that. And that might be something for another study. Um, but certainly we do use our hands in worship to God. We, we you know, whether it is literal or not, I think it probably is literal. Um, men lifting up holy hands in First Timothy 2, 8. Right. Um, uh, and so we don't want to take that too far and say hands aren't involved. Right. If the heart is involved, then uh, everything else is involved as well. Um, yeah. but, we, but still, we're only going to do what God has told us to do. Yeah. Uh, so we got a comment here. Modern music and bands are forms of art. Uh, so that's true. I'm not sure where to go with that. Uh, art is kind of short for the word artifice. Um, art has to do with man's skill, man's crafting. You think of the, the magicians of Pharaoh and their secret arts. They had capability skills whereby they could make it look like a stick turned into a serpent. So art has to do with what man can accomplish. You know, when we sing praises to God, there's some art there, wouldn't you say? Do, do we use some skill in trying to hit the right note and trying yeah. to... And thinking about somebody who has written those hymns, uh, there's a good brother who used to be on the Tuesday show, Stephen Rouse. I mean, mm -hmm. he uses art in his writing of the music and for the hymns that we sing. So the thing is here, is that something that we do because we're showing off our artistry or is that something we do because this is what God has said we should do? And, and, and there's all sorts of forms of art, whether it's painting or uh, carpentry or ice sculpting and so forth. And, you know, but we don't insert those things into our our corporal uh, corporate worship, um, uh, you know, because we don't have those things instructed by God. Now, can you serve God in those in with with those talents, those gifts that God has given you by all means? but only within the confines of what God has told us to do. Right. Right. So, so the, the viewer makes the 
point, therefore I want to use my skill in art to worship him. And I do, I hear people say that I've got this talent, so I want to use it to, to glorify God. I want to use it and call it worship. I can use my life. I can use the skills that I have in God's service. But when I talk about worshiping God, uh, I can't just go about doing things just because I'm good at them and say, so this is worshiping God. When I want to worship God, let me come before God and do what he has said. And if what he has said calls upon me to use my skill, whether it be in, in singing or whatever, well, let me do that. But let me do it because I'm truly not just saying, God, you are sovereign. I am demonstrating that by doing what God wants me to do. Yeah. So, all right. Amen. Well, um, we have we have come to the end of our time. Um, hope, hopefully this was maybe useful to some of you as you think about what is acceptable worship and what is worship. And uh, so in our worship to God, let's treat God as sovereign by doing what he has said. Thank you all for listening. And Lord willing, we will be back here with you next week at uh, the usual time, which is 3 p.m. Eastern time. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's Bible Quest. If you have any questions or comments, please go to BibleQuest.org and click on the Submit Questions tab near the top right. If you'd like to learn more about God's Word, we also offer a number of resources, including online Bible courses. You can click on the links at the end of this video, or visit our other website, Bible-Moments.com. There you can find videos on different topics, as well as choose from a variety of Bible courses that are available on demand at no cost. Thank you.